Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see you. Um, I'm so glad to be with you this morning. Um, but if we've not met, as Nick said, my name is Katie and I'm the church planting curate here at Gas Street. So we are planting into North Edgebaston at Christchurch Summerfield. And this is a church that um, has an existing congregation in at the moment. The last few years they've experienced some really significant decline and they have um, basically wanting to partner with us to bring new life and energy into the church um, and to see what God has for us. And we're so excited and we really feel so God is calling us to really speak into the economic deprivation um, that is experienced by so many people who live in that area and wanting to speak hope for those who are feeling hopeless. And so if that gives you fire in your belly and you live um, in that area, Come chat to me because I love chatting about it. And the other thing that we feel really challenged to speak into is the child church attendance stats that Tim um, has raised for us quite a few times. We really believe that God has not forsaken this emerging generation, that he has not forgotten them and that he has a plan and a purpose for them and that we want to speak that hope and truth into them. So come chat with me afterwards. That is not what the sermon is about. It's just a little plug. So as Nick said, we're coming to the end of this series looking at connection. And we're thinking this week about what does connection look like in God's kingdom? And when I think about my experiences of really good connection in church, there's one particular thing that comes to mind. And that is aunties. And I don't know who here has had experience of church aunties. But if you haven't, let me share some advice, because if you hang around at Gas Street, you're going to have some experience of aunties. So the first piece of advice I have is if you meet an auntie that is a cooking or baking sort of auntie, and she offers you food, take the food. (laughs) Life is too short to argue about food that you're not going to eat, that you are eventually going to eat anyway. So take the food and enjoy it. The second piece of advice I have for you for when you encounter a church auntie is to be prepared. Because once you get to know her a little while, she will start speaking some truth over you. You need to be prepared for the mirror that she is going to hold up. I have had various amazing church aunties, but I'd like to tell you about one of them. It's a lady called Josephine. And I met Josephine when I was dating my husband, Ed, And she is one of those cooking and baking sort of aunties. And she invited us around for Thanksgiving to her house, Thanksgiving 2012. And um, it's one of those Thanksgiving like meals, you know, you don't eat the whole morning, the whole day to prepare so because you know the food is going to be that good. And um, Josephine is Kenyan and her husband is American. And so that's, um, so Thanksgiving is a really big deal in their house. And so we turn up. And we have a bit of time chatting in the living room. And then Josephine turns to me and says, Katie, do you want to come to the kitchen and help me cook? I'm like, yes, Josephine. Auntie Josephine, because I'm polite. Yes, Josephine, I'd love to come. Hallowed ground. So there I am, standing over her stove, toasting some almonds, because I think, frankly, that's all she trusted me with. I'm toasting the almonds. And she turns to me and she says, Katie, when you were talking earlier, the way that you spoke about and prioritized European beauty standards, this is how I as a black woman heard it. 
And honestly, friends, I wanted the ground to swallow me up. And I remember going home and thinking, I can never go back to that house ever again. I can never go back. And as I prayed and reflected on what she had said and the kind of person that Josephine is, I realized why she had spoken to me in that way. She said it because she loves me. Josephine loves me. And she also said it because Josephine could see the call that God had on my life. She knew that there was a time coming when my words would have more weight than they did that afternoon in her living room. And she wanted to prepare me for that day. And so she spoke that truth to me because she loves me and wanted to prepare me for what God had for me. I've had the pleasure of lots of different church aunties, each of which has spoken some truth into my life. And it's hurt at times. And they hold a mirror up to me. And if I can receive what they are saying as love, each time I have an opportunity to grow in my Christian walk. And that's the title of my talk today, When Truth Hurts. Now I wonder this morning, do you have someone in your life who speaks truth to you? I'm, I wonder if you're like creating the relationships required for this kingdom-centered truth-telling. And I'm not talking about people who rip you apart. I'm talking about people who see what God has called you to be and speak the truth needed for you to grow into that. Perhaps you're here today and you haven't yet decided that you want to follow Jesus. Perhaps you even thought maybe following Jesus was something that you decided on your own and you had to do on your own. Well, what we're going to see today is that we don't follow Jesus in isolation. We do it in a community that forms and shapes us into the person our creator God has made us to be. So don't worry, there's going to be an opportunity later for you to decide to follow Jesus this morning. But first, we're going to read God's word. And we're going to see what we can learn from my favorite biblical auntie and church leader, Priscilla. Now, Priscilla is mentioned in three occasions in the Bible. She, um, and that makes it a lot for women in the Bible. She is brave. And I know this because Paul describes how Priscilla and her husband Aquila risked their necks for him. Whew, he doesn't include the story, but I bet it was a good one. So she's brave, but she's also fun. Well, how do I know that? Well, when she's written about in the epistles, which are the letters in our Bible, like towards the end of our Bible, she's referred to by her proper name, Prisca, like I'm Catherine. But when Luke writes about her in the book of Acts, he calls her Priscilla, like I'm Katie. And I think this is what tells us that she was pretty chill, that she wasn't too het up about everyone calling her by her proper name, thank you. I think we learned something about her character, that she is both brave and a bit fun. Priscilla was an influential leader in the early church. 
but she wasn't alone. Paul honors many women who play significant roles in the early church. We have Lydia, the business owner. She sold purple cloth and she heard Paul speak in Philippi and she was the first person in Europe to give her life to Jesus. It's her home that starts to host the church in Philippi. There's Eodia in Syntychia, mentioned by Paul in his letters to the Philippian church. Now, these women had had a disagreement. And because of their stature in the church, their disagreement was causing such issues and division that Paul writes, and he's like, I implore you in Jesus' name that you would reconcile for the sake of the church. We have Phoebe, the deacon, who essentially would have overseen the love your neighbor type stuff for the church, looking after widows and orphans. But she didn't just do that. Many scholars believe that it was Phoebe who delivered Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the letter of Romans in your Bibles. And then there's Tryphena and Tryphosa, who Paul describes as workers in the Lord. And it doesn't mean that they like did the grunt work or washed the socks or made the tea. That word workers is the same word that Paul uses to describe his own apostolic ministry. Paul identifies and affirms the ministry of women as co-laborers in the gospel. But above them all in prominence is Priscilla. She's mentioned in detail in Acts 18, which we're going to look at this morning, and then a further two times in 2 Timothy and in the book of Romans. So let's open God's word and hear what God wants to say to us this morning. I'm going to pray. Lord God, we thank you that we don't follow you on our own. That we walk our Christian life as a community, surrounded by each other, but also by this whole cloud of witnesses of those who have gone before us. We ask you to come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and speak your truth to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to dive in. Are you ready? You ready? Excellent. Acts 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There, he found a Jew named Aquila from Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. So Paul and Aquila meet. Aquila invites Paul back to the house. I'm guessing they have dinner, hang out, and there's clearly a chemistry between these three people. And they end up inviting, Priscilla and Aquila end up inviting Paul to stay with them. And he stays with them as a house guest. And as I was reading this, the question I brought to the text was, well, I wonder what Paul's state of mind was at this point. And then I read this in 1 Corinthians. It says, and I came to you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth is where this interaction, where he first meets Priscilla and Aquila. Paul 
came weak and fearful. And his weariness is understandable because he had just spent the last 15 years since his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus, going from city to city, from town to town, preaching Christ crucified and oftentimes barely surviving with his life. So he comes weak and fearful. And what do Priscilla and Aquila offer him? Well, they offer him a place to stay. They offer him the financial support of a job that's tent making. And they offer him friendship. They offer him support and encouragement. The temptation when we're feeling weak and fearful is to make our world small, isn't it? But that isn't what Paul does. He makes himself vulnerable to Priscilla and Aquila. And in return, he receives support and encouragement. I wonder who in your life can you be vulnerable around? Who in your life are you able to say, I think I've made a mistake. I think I'm in the wrong line of work. I think I'm in the wrong relationship. Who is the person in your life that you can say, I think I need some help? We don't walk our Christian life alone, do we? We do it in a community of people who can offer us support and encouragement. But we're not all here for what we can get, are we? No? We're not all here for what we can get, are we? Excellent, just checking you all awake. We're also called to be like Priscilla and be the one that is offering support and encouragement. And we're coming to the end of what I found to be an encouraging and challenging series. And if you've been tracking with us each week and you haven't yet changed anything about how you do connection, then I want to ask you this morning, what exactly is it that you are waiting for? Don't let this be another Sunday of feeling encouraged, a little challenge, warm and fuzzy, and going back into your week where it looks exactly the same. Today, make a commitment. Who is it that I'm going to have that regular dinner date with? Who is it that I'm going to go for that regular run with or that regular gym trip with? And for the business owners here, who is it that I'm going to offer employment to? And yes, I know that it is messy. I know. But it is the way of Jesus. Priscilla and Aquila offer a home to Paul. They offer him the financial stability of a job. And they offer him friendship. They offer him support and encouragement. But this isn't the only interaction that Priscilla has. Later on in the chapter, she meets someone else, a man named Apollos. So let's move on. It says in Acts 18, 18, After staying there for a considerable time, 
which means that Paul wasn't just sleeping on their sofa. I think he was essentially lodging with them. Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Now, there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos from Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. So Apollos is full of this burning enthusiasm. And on the whole, he kind of, he understands who Jesus is and he's teaching accurately. But it says that he only knew the baptism of John. And you might well ask, well, Katie, what is the difference between the baptism that Jesus taught and the baptism of John? And if there is a difference, why does it matter? Well, I'll answer you. The baptism that John taught was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism calling God's people to repent, to prepare themselves for the Messiah, for Jesus, who was coming to restore all things. But Jesus didn't just come to teach repentance. He came to change everything. The previous rules no longer apply. Because when Jesus died, he pushed through death into life so that we might not fear death anymore. Our baptism is an outward sign of an inward happening, is an outward sign of our identification with Jesus' death, the death where he took on all the consequence of our own rebellion of our own choosing to fill the void in our hearts with our own resources. It's our identification with him as he goes into the grave, as we go into the water, and our identification with his life as we rise again like he did. And if you're here this morning and you follow Jesus and you have not been baptized, do it. Do it. It's, it's a command. You can do it outside. How good. Ah, come talk to us. And if, if you're here this morning and you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus, there's going to be a moment later on for you to say, Jesus, I want to identify with you in my brokenness now so that I might also identify in your rising again, so that my life might be free, so that I might live life to the full in your name. That time's coming. You're going to get an opportunity. But poor Apollos, he didn't get the memo. He had missed this dynamic understanding of what baptism was. So Priscilla and Aquila take him to one side. Do you notice that? They didn't rebuke him in front of everyone else. They did kind of what my Auntie Josephine did to me. 
She didn't rebuke me in the living room in front of everyone. She took me to one side in the kitchen when I'm standing over her stove, and that's where she spoke truth to me. Priscilla and Aquila didn't scold him. The word that we have in our scripture is that they explained to him. And I think that this is something that our Western culture finds really difficult. I think how many of us have been told that we should interact is that it's not okay for friends to correct friends. That the idea of lovingly explaining something to someone is wrong. I think instead, we as a culture operate in two different spaces. The first that will come up on the screen is a high grace, low truth space. This is an enabling space. I think it's the, the space that most of us have been taught to operate in in our friendships. It's a space of watching our friends make, frankly, really bad decisions. But we're told that if we question this, that we're a bad friend. Or at worst, we're a toxic person. I'd like to name this space the Instagram philosophy space. It's the live your best life space. It's your own truth space. Or at its worst, see that toxic person walk the other way space. The other space that we operate in our culture is a high truth, low grace space. And this is essentially cancel culture. Where if we say one wrong thing, that the grace offered to us is so low that there is no coming back from it. I'd like to name this space the Twitter pylon space. One misguided tweet, and suddenly a whole horde of people jumping on to drop some truth on that person. And no amount of apology will ever bring you back to being respected. But we are called to a different way. We are called to a way that is high grace and high truth. It's high truth because our God is good and holy and what we do and say matters to him. That he calls us into a life of goodness and holiness. But it's high grace because, friends, we know that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have received forgiveness upon forgiveness, and so we in turn must forgive others. It's the space that Tebo guided us into the other week, of attending to the plank in our own eye before dropping truth bombs on the person with a speck in theirs. So Priscilla, she doesn't slam Apollos. She doesn't cancel him. But neither does she say, oh, well, that's Apollos' interpretation of what Jesus said. That's his truth. I'll leave him to it to, to do his own thing. No, she doesn't do that. She offers him 
high grace and high truth. She takes him to one side and she explains to him the dynamic nature of the baptism of Jesus. And what's the effect? The effect is we read that later on in Corinth, the church in Corinth, Apollos becomes an elder in that church. That Paul writes that the the seeds that Paul sowed, that is Apollos who waters them. Apollos was full of enthusiasm and Priscilla could have crushed him, but she didn't. She instructed him. She offered him high truth with high grace. And where with Paul, she offered support and encouragement. With Apollo, she offers correction and instruction. So I wonder, who is there in your life who can offer correction and instruction to you? Now stop thinking about the people you want to speak truth to. I get it. I have a whole long list of people that I'd like to speak some truth to. But we're told to attend to the plank in our own eyes before dropping truth bombs on the people who have got specks in theirs. Perhaps this morning you need to ask God for the humility to enter into a relationship that is centered around kingdom-centered truth-telling. Because we don't walk this Christian life alone. We don't do it alone. And a church without spiritual parents is an orphanage. And that's not what we have been called to. We've been called to be in relationship with each other. To embrace the aunties that God puts in our way. To allow them to support and encourage us. And allow them to speak truth and instruction so that we together might grow into who God is calling us to be. So let's stand. Now I told you there'd be an opportunity to say yes to Jesus and this is it. That if you're here this morning and you haven't yet decided that you would like to follow Jesus. But you hear about this dynamic community of truth telling and love and support. And you're like, oh, that's what Jesus is. Yeah, I think I need that. I think I need that. Then I'm going to pray a prayer. We're all going to pray it because all of us need to reorientate ourselves back to Jesus this morning. So let's all close our eyes. I'm going to pray on behalf of all of us. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you know me and love me completely. I know I've made mistakes. And now I ask for your total forgiveness. I turn away from everything I know is wrong. 
And today I choose to put my faith in you and say yes to following you. Please come into my life and fill me with your Holy Spirit now. Amen. So we're gonna keep our eyes closed. And I'm gonna ask you that if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long, long time, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand so that I can see that yes, I've decided that I want to follow Jesus. If there's also an echo of a whisper in your heart of going, Lord, I don't, I don't have all this sorted, but I think, yes, this is what I want. And raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus so that we don't have to wallow in our own brokenness. That you sent him to take the consequence of all the bad decisions that we've made. We thank you that we can identify with him in a deep and meaningful way. And identify with him in his death so that we might identify with him as he rises to glory into new life. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, come now. Come Holy Spirit. sense as we're praying that, that, that for some of us here that we've been in a relationship with someone where they've tried to speak truth to us and it's our pride has got in the way and we've broken that relationship where we might say to others that it was because they weren't being loving but in our hearts we know it was our own pride that got in the way And I know that Jesus is the reconciler. He is the one that brings us back into relationship with God and with each other. And so I'm gonna ask you to do something brave. And if that's you and you know that you have a broken relationship where your pride has got in the way, I'm gonna invite you to come forward now. Because we'd love to pray for you. We'd love for you to pray that you would have the spirit of reconciliation in your life. That you would be able to restore the relationships that feel so broken right now thanks for listening to hear more messages like this one make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out if you want to find out more visit our website gastric.org or follow us on instagram at gastric church